BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to the What We Said podcast. I'm JC. I'm the redhead half of the pod. And I'm Chelsea. I'm the brunette half. Did I say it weird again? No, you said it right. Brunette half of the podcast. Is it weird to say pod? Like, welcome to the pod. Like, is that cringy or cool? Mm, I Mixture don't know. of both. You sound yeah. very unsure. <gasps> oh, sorry. I'm getting texts. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for being here with us. If it is your first time here, welcome. Please stay, stay a, while. a while. So fall is right around the corner, which is insane to me because I feel like summer lasted three seconds. Yeah. I don't. I feel like it's been the longest summer of my life, to be quite honest. Wait, you're kidding. Because you've done so much? I've just accomplished. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You just accomplished every goal I've ever no, set. No, I just, I feel like because I've been so far away from everyone that I love, except for my husband and my dog. It just goes slower because I'm not, like, super busy every day. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? But I guess, like, trips make it seem faster Mm -hmm. because trips come up so fast. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what the heck? But I just feel like the time is flying. And, like, halfway through summer, Leif and I were like, have we even been to the beach? We're confused. Yeah, what the heck? so weird. How do we live in California and never go to the beach? I don't get it. I know. Well, it's because it's a vacation thing. It's the same thing as, like, when we lived in Arizona. How many times have you gone to the Grand Canyon? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that uh, concept. <laughs> That's the point. But I actually have loved that it's been a slow summer. Like, it's been good. Quality time with the, I almost said husband. I was going to say hubby. Don't, but, don't yeah. ever say hubby, Chelsea. I'm sorry. <laughs> it gonna, was like it's gonna coming no out naturally. I've never said that before. I've never With my said husband. It. Yeah, like when we were in Nashville, Leif and I were saying that, well, I was saying we could be doing the same thing in LA where we're going to all these different restaurants and trying to hit all the best spots. There are so many places in LA that we've never tried. Mm-hmm. And it's just because, I mean, obviously you're not going to go to a different restaurant every single day because you're living your normal life. But it's just crazy how you just get used to a place and you yeah. don't explore that much. Exactly. So we need to be better about that. So like I said, falls are right around the corner. I'm getting excited. Falls mm-hmm. one of my, I, I say falls one of my favorite um, seasons. There's only four and I actually... Yeah. I, I like think you said that for spring and summer. Yeah, I like them all but winter. Winter, yeah. I don't, it's not my favorite season at all. Yeah. What's your favorite part about fall? What are you most excited to wear during the fall season? Boots. Boots, boots. I love black boots. Same. Like, I love my Doc Martens, all the kinds of boots because I feel like I want to try and wear them all the time in summer. And I'm just like, great. It's just not, it's, it's I look hot. Like, physically, <laughs> like, I guess they're both physically. But temperature 
wise. I look hot. Yeah. Like I wore this shirt, like this baggy shirt and pants and black boots. My husband's like, you look very warm. I'm yeah. Like, yeah, I got to change. So I I'm agree. excited for that. Well, what are I you think, excited for? Okay, we keep interrupting each other. <laughs> I think I'm most excited for oversized sweatshirts mm. and sweaters. There's nothing I love more than wearing an oversized sweatshirt. I know. It is my favorite thing. I feel like you're more of a hoodie girl. Yeah, recently I've been a hoodie girl. I do love my hoodies. I love a sweatshirt more than I love a hoodie, but I'm down for both. When we did that Depends little Depends on the sweatshirt or hoodie. Yeah. When we did that poll on our Instagram of what people wore more, people were so confused about the difference between a sweatshirt and a hoodie. Is that a weird yeah, thing? Yeah, because I think people call sweatshirts like crewnecks. Oh. I don't know. Hmm. Well, one I has call a hood. it sweatshirt. One has a hood, one doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, now I'm going to share a review from one of you sweet angels. This is called Literally the best podcast. That's what it's uh, titled. It said, okay, so before these two came out with their podcast, I was trying to hop on the podcast bandwagon, but I could not find one that was just right. Like literally Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Soon enough, what we said came out, and I have been actually hooked since day one. Since then, I have been listening to JC and Chelsea every Tuesday, and they feel like my best friends. I sit in my car, in traffic, or on a plane, dying laughing or crying, getting weird looks from everybody. But it's like that thing where you are not embarrassed when you're with your friends, so I couldn't care less. These girls have gotten me through both hard times and good times, and I honestly could not thank them enough. 1,000 out of 10, recommend to anyone. Love these girls on this podcast so much, and I'll be here as long as they record. Lots of love, Maddie. And her Instagram. Oh, Maddie. Her Instagram is Maddie Ray with a bunch of I's and a bunch of E's at the end. So I think there are four. Oh, girl. I think there are four eyes <laughs> and four three eyes. E's. <laughs> four eyes. Maddie Ray, thank you so much. That was you so sweet. Are the sweetest. So we are very excited for today's episode. We're going to get right into our guest. Today, we are recording with Ashley Lemieux. We are so excited. This episode has so much positive vibes, I would say. Like, it really, she is such a good speaker, which, you know, is probably why she chose that as a career as well. But she is a speaker, entrepreneur, and author of the Born to Shine book, which is releasing soon October 8th. October 8th, everyone. Mark your calendars. So today we kind of talk about, or she talks about the difference between pain and suffering and how to start separating them in your own life. We also talked about grieving and sharing your trials online and something she calls the club of life, which she will explain in this episode. Ashley and her husband, Mike, lost their children after four years to an unexpected contested adoption. And they've kind of from that point on have taken that pain and used it as their power, which she talks about in this episode as well, which is really, really inspiring. And you will feel better after this episode. She is one of a kind. Definitely. So put your hands together for Ashley. Woo! Okay, so we got Ashley here. Ashley, tell us a little bit about you. Like, what was your childhood? Where'd you grow up? All the good stuff. Such a big question. Yeah. Tell you my life history right yeah. now. Uh, so I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was the shyest, quietest human on planet Earth. So I would go home from—this is important for you to know because of what I'm doing now, but I would go home from school, and I would write everything that I wish I would have said throughout the day because I literally wouldn't oh talk gosh. to anybody. 
And then I would throw it under my bed, like all my feelings, oh my and throw goodness. it under bed, under my bed. Honestly, and, a good um, tactic at such a young age. Yeah, <laughs> right? But I would hide it there. And so I just grew this love for writing from a really young age. Um, I love the foreshadowing going on. I know, on. right? <laughs> it's an important part of the story. But yeah, so I just grew up in Phoenix and was there for yeah. a long time. You know what? I feel like people who are shy when they're younger— they like turn into people who are like just leaders. say it as it is. And yeah, like leaders, like they are so outgoing and they like, it's almost like two sides of it. Cause my older brother was super shy growing up. And then he hit a point where he was like, I'm just done like letting people yeah, like it tell gets me things. boring after a while. Yeah, like I, I have things to say and I'm here to say them and like has not held back a day since. <laughs> I'm like, I'm you here to observe that. everything else for yeah. a while, and you're like, okay, that's not working for them. I'm ready to go now. Yeah, it just exactly. took me a little while to get there. Yeah. yeah. So if you're shy, kids, don't worry. Hang in there. One day. Okay, so you started the Shine Project when you were how old? I was, oh my gosh, my ages get really foggy. I was like 23, probably. Okay, so you were still in college, or you like, I had was still just, in college. It was okay. my senior year of college. Okay. So tell us like a little bit about that for people who don't maybe know what that is or like what the, you know, like background of that is or like purpose of it is. Go ahead and tell us. So my senior year of college, I was working at an inner city high school in Phoenix and I was helping teach a class that got juniors and seniors in high school prepared to go to college. And I, at that time too, with that last year before graduation, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. What I wanted to be was a writer and an author. And everyone always told me that it was going to be too hard to do that. So I needed to figure out a real job type of thing. Um, so I had started a blog during that time. I mean, this is back on the blogger.com days oh, before yeah. social oh, yeah. media. Oh we gosh, I think mine still exists. Yeah. <laughs> With blogger.com afterwards. Yeah. And so I started a blog called The Shine Project, and I wanted to create a space on the internet for other women who felt like me, who just needed an encouraging community and who needed to find support and motivation to go reach their dreams in their life. Um, I wanted to create a place for them. So I started a blog called The Shine Project, and during that time, I'm teaching these inner city youth, and I my mind is now being open to this world that they lived in that's in my very own city that I didn't know existed. You know, these these kids were working multiple jobs just to help feed their families back at home. They were missing school because they couldn't afford to get on a bus ticket. And as my blog grew, uh, I decided that I was going to help be a voice for them on this new, you know, weird online platform thing that was happening for me. Yeah. And so... We started raising money to help send some of these students to college. And then about a year later, when I graduated from school, my blog had grown big enough that I could be self-employed from the ad money that it was bringing in. And I decided that I was going to figure out how to make jewelry. And then I was going to teach the students how to make jewelry as well so that I could give them jobs and help mentor them and help give them real-life work experience while they paid for school. And then we were going to sell it to the people who were reading my blog. And that's kind of how everything started. I love that. So cool. And it grew and grew and grew. Are you still doing the Shine Project? Is that still your, because I see you do so many different things. Yeah. So we still have the Shine Project and now we're kind of back, you know, to our focus of how can we serve women? How can we give women the tools that they need 
to empower their own lives and uncover their own power and our products that we have the first generation college student making just kind of serve as a vehicle to to help make a bigger impact with what we do um for a while you know we were doing all the big wholesale trade shows we were sold in stores like Hallmark and you know lots of ton- hundreds thousands of retailers across the country and focusing in on that got really hard because now I was running the operations of this company that was growing and and I was it was so hard to do both to lead women yeah. to help them in their lives and also run the operations of this company and so I had to to decide to make a pivot. Yeah, that would be a lot. So tell us about you and your husband, how you guys met. I want to know was it love at first sight? Oh my gosh. Um <laughs> first of all, speaking of my husband, I'm Literally wearing his deodorant right now because I couldn't find Wait, mine. Same. So if I smell really strong, it's because I'm wearing swagger <laughs> and it's not mine. <laughs> I'm dead. Okay, you know what? Guys' deodorant actually works like pretty well. More than girls, just like you, regular deodorant. It makes his makes me smell worse. Oh, really? Like at the end of the day, like I swear there's something weird. Really? I'm like, oh, oh I'm really? a little stinky. You know what's funny? And my husband, <laughs> he's gonna be like, Why did you expose me? But he uses girls' deodorant because he thinks it works better. <laughs> You guys are like, using each. Yeah, literally. <laughs> like I would always use my That's brothers amazing. and he, he like always, I guess I grew up with brothers. He grew up with sisters. So hmm. we just Grass scavenged for ourselves. Yeah. Deodorant is a journey. It like, really It's a journey is. to find your the right one. Yeah. You find your match. Yeah, you truly yeah. do. Anyway, love at first sight love or sight. not? Uh, the first time I met my husband, he had been really excited to meet me because he'd been he saw pictures of me on our friend's desk, and I'd had a boyfriend for a lot years and years and years. And so there was like never any chance that I was gonna even know who he was. Right. But we broke up and and so apparently he was really excited to come meet me. We were salsa dancing with friends. I literally Ooh. do not remember him being there. I have <laughs> no recollection of meeting him for that first time. <laughs> like I so yeah. yeah, it was not love at first sight for me. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> it took a little second. But then once we started dating, like from the time we had our first kiss till when we were engaged, um, I'm going to say it was a solid five weeks, maybe. Wow. And then we were married three months after we were engaged. So like it took Wowzers. a second, but then once it happened, it was like boom, done. Let's do this. Yeah. Oh my. When you know, you know. I guess That's so. What they say, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, what do you think is the best part of marriage and the hardest part of marriage? Ooh, the best part of marriage. I just love that we always we're literally together twenty four seven, and I, you know, especially for me because I'm really independent. I always thought that that would bug me or I'd get annoyed. But I love that I just literally get to have my best friend everywhere I go. And sometimes I hate it when people call their spouse their best friend because it feels weird and kind of creepy. <laughs> but I just love that like he's all we always get to go just adventure through life together. And I think the hardest part has been there's just been so many changes throughout our marriage and we're totally different people from, you know, we've been married it will be 10 years next year, which is crazy. Oh, wow. wow. But from where we were when we got married to now, we're totally different people. And so navigating what that looks like in our marriage now and and how to just keep evolving together so we keep evolving with each other instead of apart, I think has been the hardest. 
thing to figure out. But yeah, that's true. Like you do both change so much. You have to like grow together. Yeah. So it's not only you're changing. You have to get used to like the relationship changing, the dynamic changing a little bit. Yeah. It's crazy how you do change so much. I feel like I'm a different person than when I got married, which was yeah, only three and a half same. years ago. Yeah. And it's so weird to look back on. And life's different, but somehow. But you're somehow still to. going strong. Yeah. Somehow I feel like there's through. something yeah. wrong, right? If, yeah. if you're not trend, right. If you're not changing and transforming together, but it also yeah. has to mesh. be right. Has yeah. to mesh right. Yeah. Definitely. All right, JC, we're talking about mushrooms. Can't wait. We are very excited to tell you guys about Four Sigmatic. I'm sure you've heard about them before. They're amazing. Four Sigmatic is a natural superfood company. They specialize in mushroom-based drinks that benefit your immunity, energy, and longevity and help live help you live healthier, more enhanced lives. Four Sigmatic makes a wide variety of blends. They have mushroom coffee, mushroom elixirs, hot cocos, matcha, you name it. They believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms to enhance your well-being. They make drinking mushrooms Fun, basically. I've never drank a mushroom before now. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a fan. Four Sigmatic is changing lives. Wow. I love the mushroom cacao drink. Am I saying that right? Cacao? I'm not sure. It's a calming drink. It's like drinking hot chocolate before bed. It satisfies my sweet tooth at like, you know, when at like nine or 10, you don't want to eat something. It feels so good. But maybe my favorite one is the mushroom coffee mix with lion's mane and chaga. It's so good for energy and focus, but you don't get the jitters, which is amazing, you guys. I love adding it to my morning smoothie or I'll mix it with like hemp milk in the morning before I go to a workout. And it's double the mental clarity for half the caffeine. So it's productivity without the compromise, which is like, what else could we ask for? My drink of choice for sure is the mushroom golden latte mix. First of all, I have to talk about how convenient and easy it is to use these products because they're just in these little packets and you just tear them open and mix it with water or you can do nut milk. I prefer to mix the golden latte mix with oat milk or coconut milk just because it's a lot creamier and I think it is so delicious. I love turmeric lattes just because they're so good for you. They're filled full of antioxidants. They're super good for your skin. They give you that glow, you know? So I'm really into it. I love this brand. I've been using the, this actual exact product for months and months now, and I'm a fan for sure. So we have a special offer for you guys. If you want to try out Four Sigmatic, definitely do it. You guys can receive 15% off of your Four Sigmatic purchase. Go to foursigmatic.com slash what we said or use the discount code what we said at checkout. That is F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com slash what we said. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your journey with loss and pain. We'd love to just kind of hear your story of what you and your husband have been through these past few years. Is that something we can dive into right now? Yeah. You know, so I'll make this a long story short, but we, six and a half years ago, you know, I'm, the Shine Project is about a year old. We've only been married for a couple of years, newly out of college, just, just really trying to figure out life and, and grow our businesses. And at that time we, we were not pursuing having kids at all. It it just wasn't our time that we thought that we were ready for that yet. And we got a call one night asking us to become parents to a four and a six-year-old literally overnight. And it sounds so crazy because it's, you know, 
not the type of thing where now I'd be like, yeah, let's let's do that. But I knew in that moment that we were going to be meeting our kids that we were forever and always supposed to be with. And I just knew that we were supposed to be a family. So Mike and I became parents to a four and a six-year-old literally overnight and started navigating what that looked like. I remember that first year and just trying to figure it all out. And one night, you know, I got home from the office. I slayed being a mom that day. I felt so good about it. I was like, wow, I'm really getting the hang of this. The kids were bathed. They had their nighttime stories. They were in bed by their bedtime. I was like, I'm doing so good. I'll never forget both the kids come walking out in their pajamas (laughs) and they go, mom, um, were you not going to feed us dinner tonight? (laughs) Oh, no. And I had forgotten to feed them dinner. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah, that first that first year, there was a lot of navigating, trying to figure the out. The transition. The transition, but it was the best, the most magical years of our life were those times together. And a few years into being a family, and, and we had no reason to believe that we never were going to be together We forever and always. I mean, we were a family. And um, we were going through the final steps of our adoption process, and we anticipated an unexpected contested adoption. And at this point, the kids had been with us over half of their lives, and it came out of nowhere. And for the next almost two years after that unexpected contested adoption happened, we were fighting in court. So life as we knew it had just turned completely upside down. And the uncertainty and the fear that we lived with every single day, we hit it from the kids as best as we could for the first year. But then after that, because of things that were happening in court and different court orders that there were and all the people from the state that then get involved, they knew what was going on. And so all of us were just so filled with anxiety and like to the point where I was physically sick all the time. I'd go to doctors to figure out what was wrong and no one could ever figure it out. And so looking back, it's like, I was under so much constant stress that my body just didn't know how to live anymore. So, you know, it was one of those things where during that time, I just held on to this hope and this faith that this is just the trial of our faith to get to where we need to be as a family. Of course, it's all going to work out. Like, how could it, how could it not? It doesn't make logical, logical sense that we wouldn't be together. And so I just kept telling myself, no matter how as hard as this is and how no matter how buried we feel fighting for our kids, it's going to be worth it because this is just what has to happen so we can be safe and happy and, and move on with yeah. our lives. So I was out of town for work one day. I was only gone for a couple of days and uh, they had called an emergency court hearing for our case, which I had known about right before I left, but I was assured because, you know, we'd been in court for over two years. So there's always yeah. some type of crap, you know, showing well, up. Well, and I think people sometimes because of the media think that court, like trials, they're like two days. No. You like go like one years. day and then the next day they make a thing. It's like, it's a long, torturous, it's torturous, like process. Yeah. And it's, yeah, draining. Yeah, so draining. And so I was like, okay, I can't let this sabotage me for the rest of my life because this could literally be going on now for more years. And I had needed to be somewhere for work. And I was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm only be gone two days. Well, so the court hearing comes. I get a call from my husband and he says, Ashley, they're taking the kids from us tomorrow within 12 hours. And 
we weren't allowed to tell them what was going on. And they weren't giving me time to come home to say goodbye. I was on the other side of the country. And what I was instructed to do was to write my kids a goodbye letter that people from the state were going to give them the next day. And the next day, my husband had to take them to school like nothing was wrong, pack up all of their things, and then they were picked up by state workers to be told they were never coming home. And that was the last time we ever saw our kids. I just cannot even imagine. No. So you had to write, you were saying you had to write a letter to them, like a goodbye letter. It's like, how? Like, how do you do that? that? How do you, how do you write a goodbye letter to your children? Yeah. Who are still living, who, who are still out there in the world. And at this time they were um, eight and 10. And we've, you know, been with each other almost their whole lives. And it's like, how, how do you, what do you say? One of the things that I did say in that letter is, is something that's really important to me is that I wanted to make sure that they knew that they have permission to be happy in their new life. Like as their mom, even though they're not with me, I want nothing more than for them to be able to thrive and find joy and be able to know just how deeply loved they are. And I hope that they have all of those things. And so in that goodbye letter, what was most important for me was that they knew that they had my permission to go and be happy. And I just hope that that is what happens in their lives. So how, like after that, what do you do? Like, where are you guys? Like, are you just like We're dead. lost? Yeah, we, um, I remember looking at myself in the mirror one day and I remember thinking, literally thinking, it looks like someone took a vacuum and sucked out everything that I once was. Like I was just this skeletal thing that was just existing. And I, this might sound, I don't know how this is going to sound. doesn't matter. I, I didn't want to take my own life, but I didn't want to be alive. Yeah. So that's the state of how we were both living. And my husband and I didn't really know how to interact with each other. Like, how do you go from being parents and then living in just stress and chaos for two years trying to keep our family together? And that was all our focus to now not physically being parents, having it just be us two, having it be quiet in the house all the time. Like, what does that look like? Like, we literally didn't even know how to communicate with each other. And we were both hurting so badly that we were just trying to keep our own selves alive at that point. And I hit just complete rock bottom. I I wanted to escape from my life. And so for a while, I thought that that would mean if I could run faster than my pain, if I could take on more projects to fill my time, if I could numb myself out by doing certain things that would just occupy time and space so I I didn't have to live with this pain that not just like pain, you know, if you get pinched on the arm or you stub your toe, but like the type of pain where you literally, I didn't know that somebody could feel that and still live through it. I, I just, it opened my eyes to this new level of life I didn't know existed and I didn't want to know that it existed. And so for a while, I just was just waking up trying to get out of bed in the morning. Like to a point where you're like emotions turn off kind of thing? Like where it's like you, because I mean, 
I've never experienced like a kind of grief where I think like I've never lost someone super close to me. But I think it's like a different thing when you're grieving someone who's still alive. Where it's like a different kind of grief maybe than like someone who has passed away. Yeah. I, uh, I've, you know, I, I have several friends who have lost children to death. I have friends who have lost children to death and then also have been in weird, like weirdly similar situations to me. And there is a difference, but that that loss is still the same. And like this aching becomes so real and devastating. So I guess I could say I wasn't numb to feelings, but the only feeling that I felt was intense pain and suffering. That's that was it. And it just it engulfed everything I did. And I and then that became my new normal life. Yeah. Right. And sorry, I'm backtracking a little bit, but did the kids have any, would they have ever thought that that was a possibility that they would be taken from you guys? Or was that like a whole new, whole new information? That was a whole new information. Okay. Yeah. And so that's something I still can't really think about yet is that moment for them. Yeah. 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 It's just yeah, unbearable. Yeah. Okay. So you… I like how you say though, I've heard you say this before, like pain and suffering are two different things. So kind of like elaborate on that. And for people who are like, wait, no, that's the same thing. Like how can they coexist? And then how can you do one without the other? Or what's the difference? So for the first year, I was like, like I said, the only thing I could feel was this pain and this suffering. And it was burying me. Like I was rock bottom, just buried by everything. And when my life started to change was when I realized that pain and suffering were actually two different things and that I would probably always feel pain because I lost my kids, but that I didn't have to suffer through it anymore. Suffering is hopelessness. Suffering is just this complete hope and hopelessness that overtakes everything that you do. But pain is a natural, normal, healthy part of life. And I realized that with suffering, it was clouding everything else that I could and should have and and was supposed to be doing in my life because um, I couldn't get out of this cycle of depression and anger and fear and sadness. Like with the suffering, it's just you literally feel like you're buried under. Um, and that day that I looked at myself in the mirror and was like, wow, someone vacuumed my whole life out of me. I remember I told my husband, I said, Mike, I'm going to wake up in 30 years and I'm going to regret not living my life because I was too sad to live it and I got to figure this out. And so I started thinking, what if it's these things that that pain can teach me? What if instead of being buried underneath and like suffering from them all, what if I'm somehow able to get on top of it and they help me rise And they serve me as learning experiences and tools that help me in my life and also help other women who need tools to rise above pain in their life too. And so I started separating and I started realizing that suffering and joy cannot exist together. It doesn't exist, but pain and joy can coexist. And that I didn't have to feel guilty anymore to feel joy. That's something that was really hard for me is because, you know, I felt like I failed my my greatest purpose in life, which was being a mom to my two kids. And so how dare I feel joy when they're out in the world and I don't know if they're safe or, or healthy or happy. And so anytime I would get like a spark of it, 
I would just shut it down so fast. And then I would almost make myself suffer more to make up for feeling that ounce of joy because I felt so guilty Yeah, because I didn't feel like I deserved it. And so I had to start separating those two and understand that um, I didn't have to run away from pain anymore, that I could invite it in to teach me, and that feeling joy was okay. Yeah. And what are those first steps that you take to, you know, those just the first things you do to try and get on a better track? Um, the first thing I had to do, and this is so hard. This isn't just hard. This feels impossible, especially when you're in the middle of it. But I had to start doing things that broke this mental cycle that I was in. One of the very first things we did, probably four months after we lost our kids, is we moved. We sold everything that we owned in Phoenix. We sold all of our things, everything that we kept fit in, into one of our cars. We had it shipped across the country. We moved here to Nashville. And I just knew that we need to be in a new environment. And I need yeah. to – because when you get yourself in a new environment, you start seeing that life is bigger than your pain. Like that one pain oh, point yeah. that you can get just stuck in and cycle through over and over and over again. You have to break that cycle and really feel and experience that, hey, life is bigger than this thing and I need to go figure out what that looks like for me now. So yeah. that was the first thing. That, the other thing that I still do is I, I needed professional help. I I needed um, therapy, specifically EMDR therapy, where I could have a doctor in that field because I had traumatic grief. Wait, what is E? What did you say? EMDR. Okay, what does that stand it for? It helps um, with EMDR. So, you know, there's a difference between – and for all of you listening, there's a difference between feeling normal, healthy grief and then feeling PTSD or then getting into depression. And how I was best explained to me is grief is like a wave where it goes in and it goes out. And it's just like this natural flow of sometimes you feel it and it blankets you, but then it always goes out and you're able to feel that joy again. Well, when you're in a depression or PTSD, which is post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, it feels like the wave is always in and it never goes out. And so there's never any reprieve. And so if that's where you feel like you're at, you've got to get help beyond what you can give yourself. And so with EMDR, it's a special type of therapy where it helps you have those triggers that you have, like those moments. For example, when I said goodbye to my kids the last time they were dropping me off at the airport. I travel a lot for work. So now flying became not just like, oh, this fear of the airports. It became me having literally panic, like full body panic attacks inside of airports because all I could equate it to was the loss of my kids. And so EMDR has helped me kind of retrain myself to think of it differently so that my so that your triggers aren't as intense and the duration of them are is less frequent. Okay. That makes sense. And I was just – this is to a much smaller degree, but I can relate to that on a sense of – I was just talking to JC about this this morning. Like I went through like an eating disorder and I had like – you know, I would go to the gym to like for hours and hours and hours. So I was saying when I kind of came out of that, the gym – it seems weird to other people, but I'm like when I start – it's hard for me to work out now because yeah. it's like yeah. when I'm in the gym, I'm is like how do I do this without – that thought. Like, I'm not, I'm the same person. So how do I like go through that? And it's like such a real thing for people who go through things and like related to something. It's like deja vu and it it brings yes. all those emotions back. You're like, I didn't even know those were still there. Yes. I thought they were gone. 
the thing about EMDR, it's like if you get a, the best way I can explain is if you get a cut on your arm, you know, you can put a bandaid on it and maybe some Neosporin or whatever, and then it's going to heal. Well, with EMDR, it's kind of that same way with your brain is that you have these things that, that psychologically just hurt you and they create these cuts or these scars on your brain and EMDR helps not just mask it over, but helps you heal so that um, you don't have those triggers or those intense feelings that come up when you're taken back to different circumstances. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you can maybe give advice to someone else who's going through some grief or a loss, like getting professional help, like you said? Um, Is there anything else that you did to, and you said moving, which is moving. another great yeah. thing. Creating some type of, you don't have to like right, move. Right, right. I'm not telling you like, yeah. don't sell all your things, move across <laughs> the country. Everyone move to Nashville. Right. <laughs> or you could come yeah. live by me in Nashville, but creating movement in Different some area of your life mm-hmm. to create some type of movement so that you're not just getting stagnant. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then is there anything else like that you can think of just sometimes, like you said, it's so hard to even get out of bed when you're feeling that like do you just have to do it or what's something else that you could be a tangible thing you could give to like someone? a first little step yeah. for yeah. someone for me writing I, I honestly feel like everybody should start processing through their pain through writing it just mm-hmm. it helped me get it outside of my head and at least somewhere else where it could be alive so that it wasn't just eating me alive writing my feelings and my thoughts was so good I started writing letters to my kids which I still do so now, instead of getting really sad, like on their birthdays or when school starts or on a holiday where I really wish I could tell them something, I now channel that and say, okay, I can't tell them in the way I wish I could now, but what I can do is I can write them a letter that gets saved for a different time and goes in a special place, so I'm going to go do that. And so I think when we're in pain and grief, we we really focus on those things we don't have anymore or those things we can't do. And I, I had to get really intentional intentional about thinking what do do I have now that I can use and that I can do so that I don't feel just like this loss over and over again. I still buy yeah. my kids souvenirs when we go travel new places. You know, they have a box of souvenirs in our closet. I don't know if they're ever going to get it, but it but it's just something that I need to do to to just keep to move forward. Also those times some days you just really can't get out of bed. And I had to learn that I also had to be really compassionate towards myself, just like I would have been towards other people. Some days you don't get out of bed. Some days you need to stay there and and you need to just be there and try to let yourself heal and grieve and then know that the next day though, you got to get back. You got to get back up. And so I, I had to learn also that there's no right way to grieve there's no time frame on it. And I had to, I've had to learn how to be really patient and like loving <laughs> to myself yeah. so that I so that I don't hold myself to these standards that I would never hold anybody else to. Yeah. Which is sometimes really hard to do. Yeah. We're our yeah. own worst critics. It's really definitely. So I've heard you talk about like something called the life club. Like you were yeah, saying, like the club of some, life. Yeah, yeah. Like when something happens to you, like trauma. Like where you're like, whoa, this happens to other people. This doesn't happen to me. Like kind of, I love that concept because we kind of talked about something similar on a previous podcast where we were talking about like real and fake and like people on social media who share things about their trials. And it's like, sometimes you feel like you're like, the difference between someone who is 
like grieving and going through it and like trying to help other people versus someone who's stuck. Like you were saying, like stuck suffering for like maybe longer than they like. You're like, okay, this should kind of be a healthy way now where you're dealing with it. Is the the club of life, as you say, is that like a scary place to be? Is that like a sad place to be? Kind of touch on that. Yeah. The club of life is actually a chapter in my book. And the reason why it was so important to me and, and how I discovered that this club even existed is when my husband and I first got married, we were so poor. We we're living in a cockroach infested condo. We had nothing. And uh, his car had just gotten stolen and I had a car and it's the windows were stuck down because they the electric no, I've didn't been there, work. Yeah. <laughs> we had no AC. We lived in Phoenix. And so during the summer, and especially like during monsoons, my windows would be down. I'd be beat red from Gotta being hot and soaking wet. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and people look at me like, you're this woman's crazy. And they would be honking at me because I'd be driving so slow. Because, But they didn't know my car literally could not go faster than I'm 45 crying. miles an hour. Yeah. That's it. Like, I'm going as fast as I can. I'm doing the best I can. Just lay off me. Yeah. And so driving just became so stressful. But I remember driving one day and there was a woman next to me who was in a car that was even crappier than mine. She had kids in the back. Their windows were down. All their faces were beet red. So we're beet red together because it was the middle of the summer. And the cars behind her, she was like the only car that my car could go faster than. And the cars behind her were honking at her to speed up. And I remember looking at her. And for the first time, like fully knowing how she felt and then feeling this solidarity with her, like we were in this same crappy car club. Yeah. And I honked and I looked over at her and she looked at me like, oh, this woman's probably going to scream at me because I'm going so slow. And I yeah. just gave her a thumbs up Aww, and a nod. I love that. And she just so smiled cute. back at me. Yeah. But we were in the same club. And had I not been in that crappy car club, I never would have seen her and understood that. And so with the club of life, the club of life is when we enter into these times in our life, the crappy car club or the club of being in the hospital waiting rooms because you're sick or your kids are sick or the club of divorce or um, the club of financial ruin, just these things in life that growing up and you're asked what you want to be when you get older, those aren't the things that you ever yeah. list. But now you're there and and you enter into this club that you didn't know existed before. But now that you know, you see people in it differently because you are now given these new lenses that you can only get if you enter into the club. And at first it's really scary because things taste different. They feel different. They look different. It's all new. And it's not that it's bad, but it's that it's it's not how it was before. And so you have to figure out what that looks like. But then you're able uh, to communicate and to connect with people and yourself on a way that you never could have before you entered into that club. Yeah. And I think it's when you see like other people in that club or like you think, oh, that will never happen to me. And then you get there and you're like, oh, I can relate to you. I can relate to you. Like yeah. I can be here for you way more than I could have been, you know, 10 years ago when like when my life was peachy. And exactly. I thought like, this is life. Life is awesome. <laughs> And then something happens. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, this, this is, is why. Yeah. This yeah. is why my parents were always happy. This is why, like, adults never seem to be, like, yeah. you know. Carefree. Right. Yeah, carefree, sliding down a rainbow. Right. Getting fit and staying healthy always sounds easier said than done. Am I right? Well, 
OpenFit. You guys already know OpenFit is bringing you something new and it makes it even easier to never miss a sweat session. This is an amazing streaming service because you can't use any excuses anymore. No more. I'm too busy to make time for the gym. You can lose the commute to the gym and let the workouts come to you. You can choose from a variety of sweat-inducing at-home workouts from trainers like Andrew Rogers, who is the founder of Extend Bar. And I've said this before, I've tried the Extend Bar workouts and my butt, my thighs, my calves, they were on fire. It was such a good workout. They have workouts that are also as short as 10 minutes. So you can't say that you don't have time because I know for a fact you have 10 minutes. So OpenFit can change the way that you work out. And with our code, we said you can join us on a fitness journey that is personalized just for you. Again, use our code we said and start using OpenFit for your journey to a healthier life. Right now, during the OpenFit 30-day challenge, our listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit. When you text we said to 303030, you will get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts and nutrition information totally free. Again, just text we said to 303030. Standard message and data rates may apply. So like we mentioned on one of our last episodes, we kind of touched on this concept of people sharing their trauma and how sometimes I kind of want to get your take on how can you share things that you have gone through that may be tragic or that are hard to help other people? Because, and obviously this is just from an outside perspective, I think sometimes it can, when people are sharing their trials, after a long time, some people can get a certain vibe that maybe like they're too self-involved and they're almost romanticizing these negative feelings. Do you know what I mean? To where it's more about them versus like, I'm trying to use this thing that I went through to help other people. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't grieve or, you know, be able to post about that. But I'm just saying, do you know what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, I actually, I saw that question. So I I went and I listened to that specific podcast earlier today. You know, I I think it's really hard because we all grieve differently. And especially if someone is really stuck in that cycle of traumatic grief or PTSD or whatever, I mean, that just blankets you with so many things. And so it's hard for me to say, well, here's the line and and here's not the line because I'm going to grieve different than you or you or whoever else. So that's a really hard one for me to answer. What I think is really important when it comes to us in our pain is being able to come to a place where our our pain can help lift us and and bring us power instead of sucking from us. Have you guys have probably heard the phrase of hurt people hurt people? Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes with with sharing our trauma and our pain, you know, cause, because it's healthy to express it. And there's parts of our story that are so deep and dark, I will never, ever, ever share because it's just, it's, it's just what I know that I I don't want, and for my kids to to respect that, like we're just not yeah. gonna go there. And I I think though when we can get stuck into this cycle of here's what it is. It's, it's this victim mentality. Right. Yeah. And, and and when you stay the victim of your story for a long time, you not only are you drained, but you start, you really drain other people too. You, you drain the people who love you. 
And you might not even know that you're doing it. I was stuck in that for a long time and it was really hard to get out of it. And that's where the professional help had to come in. And so, yeah, for me, it's hard to say, well, here's here's the line. I think for us as consumers of the internet, we kind of have to do our own gut checks and be like, is this person and, and what they're doing and teaching, is it serving me well or, yeah, exactly. or is it draining me? And then we make our own decision you know, um, based who on, we follow yeah. and what we're consuming because, based on that. Yeah, and like we talked about in the episodes, like there are people that we definitely follow who like share things and it's like even the little details, it's like it helps you because it, it helps you relate, you right. feel hopeful. And then there's the ones that make you feel like negative and hopeless. So it's like yes. that's the difference where I'm like, oh it's man. because they're still suffering. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And yeah, and I think some of the things we said in the episode could have you know, we, yeah. we meant well for sure. And I think it could have been taken out of context too. But yeah, I like getting your perspective on yeah. that. I love how you like phrased it. Because that's why I was saying like the life club is I said something where my brother… Because I've seen people in my life grieve. And I've seen them all grieve differently. Where it's right. like… And my brother once said something to me that it was like everybody has dead people. And so that out of context can be taken very bad. <laughs> right. And I'm not saying everyone… Oh, don't don't grieve. Like get over it, babies. I'm like… Everyone has like trauma. Everyone has something to go through. And that's how we're human. That like makes us connect with each other. It's like that's what makes us. That's essentially that's so the power of life that you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, exactly. Everybody has those things. I think yes. I like the way you phrased it better than my very <laughs> no, you brother. It but so, you phrased it so good. Is yeah. that we do. We all have those dead things in our yeah. life that connect us and allow us to be human. And that's what I think is important is that that we're able to connect with people on a human level that that serves both of us well and doesn't drain mm-hmm. everybody because I fully believe that your pain can turn into your greatest power. Definitely. Like, I believe that with all my heart. And, and so for me, it's so important that I can share to help women find and know that there's tools out there and inside of themselves that they can to use to, to not be buried and suffer anymore, but then to rise above it. But I also have to be careful not to live in my story over Mm -hmm. and over and over again and allow myself to be a victim. I think a lot of times, one of the just basic, there's six human needs and one of them is significance. And so sometimes I think that suffering adds maybe to you, to people feeling significant. And then you start finding your identity in that, which creates mm-hmm. this cycle of, of like you were saying, of of sharing things over and over again with the intention of this is all about me and my my victimhood because now it helps you be significant and I, and I think a lot of times we focus on the hard things of our lives and allow that to define our lives, but what if instead of the hard things defining our lives, what if the we switch and the focus becomes we get a focus now and our lives are defined by the strength that we had to overcome them. And when you can reframe that in your mind is when you're able to, to share your experience and your pain in a way that can help other people reframe it in their mind yeah. too. I love that. I kind of see it as like, you know, your load or like your trauma or whatever you went through is like a box you're holding. Yeah. And like, you're kind of like, I'm there to like help you carry that box if it's something like that I, but I could also have my own box that I'm carrying. We can walk by each other and like you can help me be like, hey, this is how I'm holding my box that it's the best and easiest way for me to do it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. 
But when it's like, feels like someone's like, can you hold my box? Like, yes. can you take my box from me? That's when it starts to feel too heavy for people. Yes. Where it becomes like, okay, this is too much. It's a lot. Yeah. So how, I love the concept of turning your pain into power. How can you do that in a healthy way, you know, and not maybe self-sabotage? How do you get to that point? Just time? Well, time and also it's something that I've had to, you have to focus on it because I, I don't think there can ever be a point where you're just like, okay, my, my pain is now my superpower, right? right. Mm-hmm. It's like every morning there are specific things that I do in my morning routine that help bring me purpose and intention to my day. And they're all things that I've uncovered be- because I hit rock bottom and I needed to figure out how to live again. I also feel like with pain, you're able to, you're given the opportunity to learn and to see the power that you really have to overcome that. And so when you can start focusing in on that and how you've overcome what you've overcome or, you know, how, how you've pushed through to reach dreams, even when it was hard, I mean, this can be applicable to anything, but when you can focus on that, then that becomes your power instead of just focusing on the suffering, the grief, the suffering that you feel. And it almost becomes like a, it sounds weird to say, but like a newfound confidence of like overcoming something that's like, you don't want to feel like confident, like, oh, I went through the trial. I'm confident now. But it's kind of what we talk about. Like when you accomplish something little or whatever, you feel like I can get through this. Like I'm still alive. I'm still yes. functioning. Like I've got this confidence to like go after things now. Like I know what it is to be a bottom. I got nothing to lose. Right. Yeah. And and once you know you can go through that, then you can go through the next thing. And exactly. you can go through the next. And I I view life as kind of like this mountain we're all climbing and, and we go up and then we kind of have these little lean twos that we get to rest in and like re, you know, re-energize and we're like, yeah. wow, look how far I come. And okay, well now I need to go climb the next part of of the mountain. And I think that's how it is. The experiences we go through is that we get to learn. Instead of running away from our pain, we have to allow it to teach us. And then we take those things to get us to the next place. And then it's just this, like, I'm going to I'm gonna feel pain again. And I think that's something that I thought when I lost my kids. I thought that life, I deserved, life owed it to me to roll out my red carpet. Yeah. Be- because, because it took away my kids. Well, after we lost our kids, crap everywhere else also hit the fan. And I was like wow, it doesn't work that way. And I think when we start thinking of ourselves as the exception, like everyone else can get sick or everyone else can have people lose people they love or everyone else can be told no for that important job. Or when we start viewing ourselves as the exception is when we start losing our power. And I also maybe think that that's kind of what puts us back into feeling the victim is because we believe that we should be living on this Mm-hmm. higher, you know, exclusivity of pain than ever, everyone else can feel it, but not me. And so I think help having your pain turn in your power, you know that you're not exempt from it. And you also know that because you, you're not exempt from it, then that must mean that you have to have the power somewhere inside of you in order to get through it. I, I love, love that. that. We're both just stunned. We're like, I know. I was going to say, you explained like this so eloquently. We should have had you on the other one that we were talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So this makes me very excited to read your book. So tell people like what your book's called, what it's about, when they, where they can get it, 
Because when does it come out? Or are you allowed to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, it comes out October 8th. Yeah. Uh, mark your calendar. Mark your calendar. Mark your calendar. Uh, my book's called Born to Shine. I'm so excited, you guys, for this book because this book is truly an anthem of courage to, to all of you who have ever felt like you've been in dark moments in, in your life or that you're still going through it. And it's, I wrote the book that I wish that I would have had. It's not perfectly packaged. My my happy ending, I, I didn't get my kids back. It's not like this, you know, theatrical ending of we're reunited. But the message of Born to Shine is that even in your darkest moments, there is still light inside of you that has power that you can pull out to shine. So it's practical tools that can help you shine even in life's darkest moments. You can pre-order it right now wherever books are sold. Um, I keep seeing on Amazon, it's like keeps dropping down to like 10 bucks. And then everyone who pre-orders, we're doing our big live Born to Shine events night on October 7th in Salt Lake City. And everyone who pre-orders, you're going to have access to that live stream. And it's really going to be a night to just help you ignite your light again and go be ready to just go out and own your world and your story, no matter what it looks like. So I love that. I'm so excited. So you just, they can just type in Born to Shine. Ashley yeah, just Lemieux. type on Born to Shine, Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, cool. they can Indie find Books, it. Yeah. Books a Million. Yeah, and you can pre-order it there. And are you doing more, I see you doing these like speaking engagements and things like, is that something you're doing as well all the time is kind of? Yeah. So I do speak a lot. We also have, um, this past spring, we went on our Born to Shine tour. So yeah, it was kind of the pre-kickoff. We went on a six cities tour and it was awesome. It was, it was a, a live night, kind of a workshop night with me and 300 women who we just came and we just built community and I, I helped just give them the tools they need to to uncover their power in their life. And so the live stream in October is going to be that night. So if you can't physically be there, it's going to be streamed to you for free in your own home with your girlfriends or whatever. But yeah, we do uh, live workshops now and we'll be doing a lot more next year so that I just think there's such power too in coming together where you can physically be with people and definitely and go through things together. So Hopefully we'll come That's to your awesome. city in the fall too. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you, like your Instagram. Just pimp yourself out. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, you can find me online at theshineproject.com. And then Instagram is where I really love to just get our tribe together. And it's just uh, my uh, handle is just my name, Ashley K. Lemieux. And I would love to go meet you there. Amazing. Well, thank you, Ashley, so much for being on the podcast. I think this is going to help so many people, Mm -hmm. and we're grateful that you came on. And if you guys at home want to follow our podcast Instagram, it is at what we said podcast. And we do lots of fun stuff on there. So make sure and go check it out. But thanks so much for listening. And that's That's what what we said. said. Bye.